Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. We love our dogs. They love to race. Check out grnz.co.nz for everything New Zealand Greyhounds. This is Dog Speed with Mark Rosanowski, Andy McCook and Ricardo Ball on ECNZ. Yes, kia ora, Aotearoa. This is your brand new Greyhound show. It is called Dog Speed with me, Ricardo Ball, Mark Krosinowski and Andy McCook. Uh, we love our dogs. They love to race. Head to lovegreyhounds.org.nz for everything New Zealand Greyhounds. Now, uh, Rosso and Andy are both with us. Rosso, I was, I was desperately desperately trying uh, to get Robbie to find the uh, the full-time whistle uh, at uh, the Etihad uh, commentary today. Uh, Manchester City, your beloved Manchester City 2, Tottenham Hotspur 3. I thought that'd be a great way to start the show, but unfortunately you ran out of time, so I'm just going to have to uh, mention it and stir you up uh, myself. Good morning. Uh, kia ora, kia ora, Ricardo. Uh, thank you for that. That's a wonderful way to start the show. Uh, having said that, with you as a Manchester United fan, my friend, Surely to goodness you want City to win this title and not Liverpool. Well, yeah, that is that that is a fair point. That is a fair point. But, hey, it'd be no fun if I couldn't wind you up about uh, what your first loss in the 15 games since October or something ridiculous. So It just hurts. Yeah, I it hurts. It does. And I still think that if you get 10 corners to nil, to nil that's worth a goal, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's stretching, Andy. He's stretching. Good morning, Andy McCook out of Christchurch. How are you doing? Yeah, good morning, mate. Uh, pleasure to be along. Unfortunately, I'm not a, a, a soccer follower, so you've completely lost me for the first part of that chat. I was just about falling asleep, but <laughs> it's always good to see someone giving Rosso a decent wind-up because he needs it. Now, uh, you two gentlemen, uh, interesting. Obviously, I mean, you're the two leading race callers in the country when it comes to uh, the dogs, but I get, I get, I get the feeling... That, uh, that that maybe you guys don't like being in the same space because Rosso's originally out of the Canterbury region, now he's in Central, and you're originally, Andy, out of the Central region, now you're in Canterbury. Did, uh, two big dogs can't be in the same yard. Is that what's going on here? Well, luckily for me, Rosso pretty... decided to move, and it gave me some sort of opportunity <laughs> because if he was still down here, I'd still be training dogs, and, and I wouldn't be involved with track. So Because how could I get involved in, with a, a great man like Rosso if he was still down here? Yeah, he calls me the great man, but what he really means, Ricardo, is G-R-A-T-E, not the G-R-E-A-T. <laughs> um, look, we, uh, we like to wind each other up, but we are we're, we're, we're brothers in arms when it comes to greyhound racing, and uh, it's funny how our, our paths have led us. We're really fortunate in this country, um, Ricardo, to have the, um, the greyhound callers that we've had. Um, obviously, Peter Early was the trailblazer back in the Radio Pacific days, and that's certainly who I grew up listening to in this part of the world and Paul Ambrosoli out of Sydney 
Um, but obviously Andy's kicked in. He's um, he's a he's a good deal younger than than I am. He's got the enthusiasm that I had 20 years ago. And as I get older and more cynical, it's very important that I'm handing over the the baton to people like Andy. But of course, we've got Aaron White calling three codes in Auckland. He's magnificent with the dogs. He's owned a Group One winning dog in the past, um, and he's slotted in there beautifully. Uh, of course, George Simon has to, to do backup calls for us now too and we get spread a little thin. And of course, in times of COVID, we had the rather extraordinary situation yesterday at Ellerslie where uh, Aaron was notified outside the gates that he was a close contact, couldn't call yesterday. Justin Evans, who now commentates three codes in the South, excellent greyhound caller and analyst as well. Uh, he called the first out of Ellerslie from the monitor at Invercargill at Ascot Park and did an extraordinary job before we managed to get Bruce Sherwin to Ellerslie. So, look, tricky and difficult times. Commentating greyhounds, if you've seen a million races, it seems relatively easy. For those who try it for the first time, it's not quite as easy as it looks sometimes. No, I was, I was, I was going through uh, the, the meets that we've had over the last week, and I believe that between uh, the two of you, gentlemen, you've called eight out of the nine since we had uh, last week. So uh, certainly... Certainly uh, people who are fans of the dogs uh, will be familiar with your voices. And Andy, I know that, uh, uh, I don't know if this is an official title, but uh, inverted commas, kennel boy is what I've got down here um, uh, for your better half. And uh, and uh, you're still involved in training to an extent as well. Yeah, still involved in the training side of things, which is good. Uh, your kennel boy is probably the nicest thing I've been called. Janine calls me kennel Starts with B, but it's a word I can't use on this program. But uh, that's that's the nicest thing I've been called. So it's good. We've got a large team. We've got sort of 110, 120 dogs there that uh, that float around the property between race dogs and pups and broodies and uh, and whatnot. So uh, yeah, we lead a, a relatively busy lifestyle. But luckily, Sunday mornings usually free, so we can fit in a little bit of dog speed. Yeah, well, that's exactly what we're doing here. And I mean, to put my hand up, uh, I know very little about uh, greyhound racing, about dog racing. So I'm here to be educated. I, I thought we could do a, a dogs for dummies question where I get to ask you a, a probably what you would consider a silly question and you could answer it for me. But, I mean, um, what when you, when you get a pup, obviously there are, there are hounds that work as race dogs and there are hounds that work as pets. When you get a pup, how do you know what, what you've got? Oh, it's a, it's a long process, to be honest, Ricardo. You don't know till they're about uh, 12 or 13, 14 months old until that stage. They're just being puppies playing around in, uh, in paddocks with, with their litter mates and uh, you go in and play with them with teddies and toys and uh, little bits of sheepskin and all that sort of stuff to try and stimulate the, the chase side of their brain. But unfortunately, no matter what you do, some of them just don't want to make a race dog and uh, if they don't want to chase, you can't make them chase. But you find out 12 or 13 months old and the, the ones that don't want to do it, you can tell fairly quickly that they don't want to chase a drag lure which is a you know just a, a bit of fluff on a, a string that goes up our straight track and if they don't want to chase that then there's basically no chance of ever going around a track so they go and live the life on someone's couch somewhere and we carry on with the, the ones that do want to do it yeah Rick, sorry Ricardo, I'd like to jump in there and tell a yeah mate I'd like to tell a quick story because the first ever greyhound I had that won a group race was actually a dog that Craig Roberts was training and we'd pretty much given up on it and we'd called him Fake Jewel because he, he just wasn't interested. Craig was calling his dogs Jewel back then, by and large, still calls a few that these days. And uh, lo and behold, we, we used to take him to the, to the trials and he would sort of stand there and look on. He was not interested even remotely. One day Craig rang me, he said, you won't believe it. He said, but um, 
took Clyde, because that was his kennel name, to the track today. And he, for some reason, just started going berserk when the first trial went round. He showed no interest whatsoever. Uh, that dog came out and won, uh, we used to have Group 3 races back then, and he came out and won the Group 3 Canterbury Juvenile. So, look, um, by and large, what Andy has said is uh, 100% accurate, but never give up, I say. Never give up. And he, he ended up on the couch. He, he would have ended up on the couch a whole lot earlier if he hadn't raced, but he ended up on the couch about three years later. Yeah, nice, nice. All right, well, that's uh, that's good to know because it's something that I've always always wondered about the dogs because, I mean, Andy, if you get a how many, what's the average litter for a greyhound? Oh, you can get anywhere up to, to eight or ten. I think the average litter's probably around six or seven. I don't have that exact figure in front of me, but most most litters are sort of between six and eight. You get the odd big one. We've got, uh, we've got one at home at the moment. They're just turning 12 or 13 months old. She had 12. So they can get up there in uh, in sizes, but yeah, usually four, five, six, seven. Uh, anything over that starts getting a little bit tougher on the mum in the early doors. So a nice litter's around six or seven. It makes life a, a little bit easier for mum and uh, and everyone trying to look after her and the kids. And and out of you know, so if you have an average litter of six pups, how many of those, if they, if particularly if mum and dad are, are bred race dogs, uh, end up racing themselves? Is there a, is there a sort of a rough rough number? Again, I, I don't have the exact figure in front of me, but these days most dogs make a make, uh, make a race dog. There's there's very few. You get the odd one that won't chase and, and stuff like that, but most of them uh, make a race dog, and, and this days with all the racing opportunities we have, you can usually find a, a sort of a weak maiden for most of them, and it, it keeps most of them competitive throughout the, the early stages of their career. So the number's fairly high. I don't know if Rosso knows the exact number or a percentage that makes it, or if Grand Race in New Zealand know it, but uh, I would imagine that, that that number would be sort of in the high 80 percentage. Okay. Yeah, well, that's certainly the things that we can follow up on um, as they come to light. But look, we've got some uh, cracking litters at the moment around the place and, and also some litters where you know, there's dogs that are just, um, you might call them battlers, but they um, they keep running week in, week out and returning a dividend for their uh, for their owners and trainers. And uh, Mark Goodyear won a race with a $30 shot on Friday, race number one with a dog called Lost in Pace uh, at start number 20. Uh, and it was the eighth winner uh, out of nine in that litter, and the other one hasn't been to the races yet. Then we've got a, a litter at the moment, the first litter out of Isavana, and that is just such a red-hot litter. There's some very good greyhounds that are about the eighth best in that litter, and incidentally, she's just had a litter of 12 Isavana for her second litter, Ricardo, just to, to show you how high those litters could potentially sometimes get, but that is extreme. Yeah, that uh, that that is. You you feel sorry, feel sorry for Mum. She's not getting much sleep uh, with a litter of twelve. I can t- tell you tell you that much. Now uh, we have also uh, joined uh, by, I, I guess Rosa. You, when you emailed me, you said the boss is joining us. Uh, I thought you might have meant Reuben Bradley, but no, you meant Elizabeth Whelan, the CEO of uh, Ground Racing New Zealand. Uh, Elizabeth uh, with us in the studio. Uh, good morning, Elizabeth. How are you doing? I'm very well, Ricardo. How are you doing? It's a great start to the show by you guys. Really enjoying sitting here listening to it. Oh, well, it's good to have you here and uh, as, as part of it as well. And um, I know that you're, you're going to spend the hour with us uh, sitting in the uh, Petoni studio with, uh, with, with Rosso. Uh, what, are your, what are your expectations of the next hour? What are you expecting to hear? I've got high expectations, actually, from these guys. Well, we've just heard before that they've called eight of the last uh, line meetings in the last week. So for starters, I'm expecting their tip game to be pretty strong. Uh, <laughs> all over the form after calling so many races, guys. Yeah, well, it's 5-3 to Andy, by the way. He's calling his fifth meeting today at Monaco, and it's a very important meeting. We're going to talk about it later in the show because uh, we're a week out from Auckland Cup heats and railway sprint heats. Elizabeth, um, look, I was calling you the boss because obviously you're now uh, 
uh, at Greyhound Racing New Zealand in the Chief Operating Officer um, role. But uh, obviously you've been working with SENZ in this partnership. And so what are you expecting with the partnership SENZ, who you also, when you worked in Australia in the Thoroughbred Code, uh, had a, um, a really good relationship with SEN there? I'm a huge fan of SEN from that, I guess, being back um, over in Melbourne for a couple of years. Um, we worked closely with Hutchie um, with contracts with SEN. Um, we've come over here. I was previously working at Thoroughbred Racing. We had a close involvement with SEN Track. I've switched to the Greyhounds. You and Andy for the last few months have been hosting a show on SEN Track, and now we've decided to make the switch. We, we're loving the coverage on SENZ, and it just seemed like a really good time to get involved here in New Zealand. Push out some of those good news stories. Obviously, we've got today with Dog Speed, but also crosses throughout the week. We're getting Greyhound content on the news bulletins. We want to let people know just how much we love our dogs, how much they love to race, just like our tagline says. And um, if we can convince, you know, even the casual listener as well that Greyhound Racing is great, then that's all the better. Yeah, well, I listen to SEN on the radio and on the app pretty much all the time now with the, all of the sports that get covered. I love live sports commentary and it's got a stack of that. And um, I've heard in the last few days, um, purely by chance really, uh, Riley Evans on Friday, that was fantastic with Smithy because you know I learned about him uh, being a stock car champion. Um, you know Stuff that I don't know about my own people in, in, in the sport. Uh, John Roberts was on yesterday. He's the president of the Monaco Club. Races a lot of good dogs as well. Uh, and Alan Davidson's been on as well. I heard him too. Uh, the One of the part owners of a power superstar is one of our stars of racing. So, Ricardo, it's just great to hear some Greyhound coverage uh, on the air and loving this partnership that we've got. But what we're going to hear after the break is an update on a very important situation, and that is the Hattrick Raceway in Whanganui, one of our key tracks where there are more great Group 1 races raced anywhere else. It has been closed for the last few months, but this morning Elizabeth is able to give us an update as much as she possibly can as to where the progress is with Hattrick and if and when we might be able to see it reopen. Well, that is the beauty of having the Chief Operating Officer of Greyhound Racing New Zealand in the studio in uh, Petoni with you, Mark. Uh, we love our dogs. They love to race. Head to lovegreyhounds.org.nz for everything New Zealand Greyhounds. We'll have that news on Hattrick for you up next. You're on Dog Speed on SENZ at 17 past 11. Ricardo Ball with you. The experts are Andy McCook and Mark Rosanowski. And, of course, we have the Chief Operating Officer of Greyhound Racing New Zealand with us as well. Elizabeth Whelan still to come in the show. Gary Cleave, the trainer of No Keeper, on a 10-win race streak. He's going to join us. We're also going to preview the Auckland Greyhound Racing Club meet at Monaco Stadium later today and hopefully tip you out a few wins. Is, uh, but uh, right now, Rosso, we're, we're going to find out about Hattrick. Get an update on uh, that track in Whanganui. Yeah, thanks, Ricardo. It's um, obviously it's, it's quite dear to me because I, I, I call the uh, the Whanganui meetings and I miss Hattrick Raceway on a Friday night. And then, of course, we race midweek on a Wednesday as well. But uh, the track has now been closed for uh, a number of months due to safety concerns and injuries that were occurring there. And, and clearly, that's something that we uh, have to address and... Elizabeth, it's very important, obviously, for central districts trainers, but because of the nature of Whanganui and the amount of feature racing they have there, premier meetings and group one races, this is actually critical to people right around the country. So what is the latest that you can give us as to what might be happening with Hattrick Raceway in Whanganui? 
Uh, well, as you mentioned, Mark, the track has been closed since September. So since then, what's happened is we've had an independent review conducted on the track. That's been done by uh, Dr. Michelle Ledger, who's also uh, now our head of uh, welfare at GRNZ. She's an absolute force. She's based in Sydney. And when we employed her, we thought she'd be over here quite a bit. And of course, COVID restrictions, but hopefully she'll be over here soon. She's done a very thorough report on the potential for rebuilding the track. She's come to the conclusion, basically, that the track can be re rebuilt. Um, following that, though, um, we also wanted to make sure um, that there was sort of the economic viability for the track to be rebuilt. If it is, do we have sufficient greyhound population, trainer population, um, vet population, all those kind of things come into play as well. So uh, we then commissioned a second report by Sapire, who um, has come out last week with a 32, on the week, past week and a half, with a 32-page document, very, very thorough. Um, they've undertaken an extensive consultation process, um, as have I, along the way. Um, where we've got in touch with all of the affected parties and Sapere's come out with a number of recommendations. And I guess um, the key ones around that is um, that there's a good case for reopening Hattrick Raceway. That's that's number one, that, that's the big thing that they've come out with, but they've also put a few caveats on that, a few conditions that they think perhaps um, GRNZ, the tracks and the club should also be adhering to um, if we're considering reopening Hattrick. When you talk about um, rebuilding the track, obviously there's a, a, a confined amount of space there. So are we effectively just talking about I say just, I mean, obviously it's key, it's important. Is it about taking out the sand, relaying it, perhaps recambering it? What exactly are we talking about? We're not talking about a grand redesign. No, and look, I think, Mark, everything is on the table. And um, when, when you go to Whanganui, obviously, and you look at it, those those turns are quite tight, and, and, and the camber as well is obviously something that's often been up discussion previously. But um, one of the things that Michelle Ledger points out in her report is that the design parameters of Hattrick are actually the same as Sandown and Victoria and also the Geelong inside track and both of those do have sufficient radius and the good transitions to allow safe racing so with that in mind there's no reason why theoretically if the Hattrick track is to be redone um, even if we're sticking with similar designs to those two tracks that, that it won't be rebuilt safe and better than ever. The track, sort of as it is now, has been there for sort of just over 20 years, which is quite a reasonably significant amount of time. And given we live in the shaky aisles, obviously things can occur. So probably after that length of time, there's always going to be some issues anyway that need to be addressed. Absolutely. And I think having um, you know a regular track maintenance program is certainly going to be key uh, going forward. It's something that obviously the Australian tracks, they've got the luxury of other... Um, you know, lots of other greyhound tracks in close proximity to theirs if they decide to close down periodically for, for maintenance. But um, some of the recommendations to come out of the Sapere report um, include that remedial work that's undertaken on the track, um, that the GRNZ develops an enhanced track monitoring regime that incorporates lessons learnt from issues of perhaps subpar track maintenance at Hattrick. And, and as you say, Mark, the reality is the track has been around for a long time. Um, the other things that have come out of the report um, are that... Gerrans, it considers the appointment of an independent commissioner to oversee track operations, um, but also considers an independent commissioner to be in charge of both tracks. So at the moment, obviously, we've got the two separate racing clubs. We've got Palmerston North and Whanganui, um, and one of the things that's come out of the consultation and come out of this report is potentially having someone in charge to oversee both of these clubs. I mean, I, I would be going back about eight years now that I was on the board there at Wanganui and certainly talks even then, you know, do, do we merge the central district clubs? They're essentially less than an hour up the road from each other. So all of these things need to be discussed. What we've done is we've sent um, all of this information out to our CD trainers and clubs on Thursday of last week. Um, we're going to have a meeting with all affected parties on the 1st of March, Tuesday the 1st of March, um, and we want to know exactly where the clubs are at um, and, and really 
you know, we're going to need the buy-in of participants for this to work. Mm. Um, it's quite interesting because we used to have, not so long ago, actually, about four, go, go back 15 years, we had four clubs in the central districts. There was Hutt Park just down the road here from where we are, uh, Wairapa over the hill, Solway Showgrounds, and obviously they have gone uh, and we're down to the two. They were working very nicely together because Wanganui, obviously, with the, the full circle track and the Manawatu Raceway with the horseshoe. So you've got two tracks, yes, relatively close together, but certainly offering something different. And some greyhounds, obviously, capable of racing really well on both, others preferring one to the other. And of course, at that, in this juncture at the moment, there's not that choice. We've got some trainers who have got dogs that seem to be better suited to 300 metres at Hattrick that aren't quite copping the 410 metres at, at, at Manawatu. So obviously this is something that's taking a wee while, but you're there trying to push it along now because, you know, obviously people's livelihoods and for people for whom it's a hobby are, are very uh, interested in this moving quite quickly now if we can. Absolutely, and and the re- it's just the reality of racing in New Zealand now that I think about 65% or so of our races are sort of 300 metre sprinters. So... Um, you've got dogs who for the last few months have been trying to build up to the 410 metre trip at Manawatu, but the reality is some of these dogs aren't going to, to reach that. Um, for them, they need Hattrick back. Um, their other options are, you know, a 12-hour return trip driving up to Monaco to, to race their dogs there on a Sunday. Um, and then on the other side of the scale, you've also got um, trainers who are perhaps wanting to prepare their dogs for the big group races on two-turn tracks. Um, their way of preparing them at the moment is 457 metres at Manawatu and by the time they're travelling somewhere else trying to get their dogs to run 520 metres they're struggling. So it's difficult at both ends of the scale if you've got the dogs who are, who are after the 300, the dogs who are after the 520 metres and if indeed this rebuild does go ahead I think that by and large there will be uh, quite a few happy people up there. Yeah, well this seems to be encouraging uh, at this point in time. We might um, just see if the kennel boy's still awake down there in Christchurch, uh, Andy McCook, because you do train dogs. Uh, well, you help train dogs. You help Janine train dogs. Uh, 83 wins this season. I don't know how many you sort of put your hand up for. But looking on, um, you know, obviously you're down in Canterbury. You're in a completely different district. But Wanganui's be- become a very important track given the number of premier meetings, Group 1 races as I mentioned earlier. So this is certainly having an impact on people, particularly with the better dogs down south. Oh, it certainly impacts on everybody. Obviously, the, the, the guys in the CD are the ones that are copping the biggest brunt of it and, and not just for the reason that they can't race their 300-metre dogs, but as Liz said, trying to get greyhounds ready to uh, to, to run and compete in Group 1 racing. And we've seen it when you know the Cole team came down to, to try and compete through the Cup Series and those races. They took a race or two to really get the 520 metres. And tonight or this afternoon at, at Auckland, we see the Cole team racing their cup dogs for next week, this week, just to try and get a 527-metre race under their belt, obviously. So it's very tough. It's it's hard for everybody. Obviously, down here, there are dogs uh, that would suit Wanganui and Hattrick Raceway as well to be coming up for the big group ones. And when you've got to go to Manawatu, it's, um, it, it makes it a little bit harder and it's a different pool of dogs that get to go and compete. So uh, as you said, Rosa, the, the sooner we can get it all sorted, the better it is and, and the better it will be for, for everybody. And Andy, all tracks obviously are under scrutiny because, um, like for example, where you are, Addington Raceway, I mean, it runs four times a week. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of use for any venue under any circumstance. It's a lot of use, and, and I think Liz hit the nail on the head as well. We, you know, down here, we're probably a little bit worse off where, you know, our next closest track's eight hours away, so we can't close down for, for things like remedial work to, to, to be taking place. So if something goes wrong, they've got a a very limited amount of time to try and fix it. Otherwise, uh, things just go really, really badly. So it's a, a one of those things. It's a sort of a catch-22 situation where obviously we need the safest track 
we can possibly put forward for these greyhounds to be racing on and at the same time making it viable for trainers to, to, to be able to survive. So Elizabeth, we just come back to you here. Um, you've gone through the information that's been released to the Central District's trainers. Can you outline again just where to from here? What is kind of a timeline from this point on? Okay, so our next steps, next steps for us at GRNZ, um, we have called a meeting with affected parties on the 1st of March. There may be some preliminary meetings that take place prior to then too um, with the clubs. And if we're getting the buy-in of everyone, if everyone wants to go forward with this, then um, you would hope that rebuilding will then start. So there are still a few more hoops to jump through. Fingers crossed that we are getting closer though. And from there... I guess my, my slight concern, not in my GRNZ capacity, but is just um, actually getting sufficient labour materials, that kind of thing, because obviously there's such a shortage in New Zealand at the moment. But those are bridges that will cross when we come to them, obviously. Um, I've, I've sort of been careful to keep my opinion out of it right up until this point, but I am a Wanganui girl. I grew up going to Hattrick Raceway. There's not a whole lot of nightlight off nightlife options in Wanganui, so I think <laughs> plenty of locals would be very, very pleased to see Wanganui greyhounds back up and running. Yeah. Uh, indeed they will. Really appreciate that update uh, on that. Uh, Ricardo, you sound like you're uh, wanting to, to get yourself a, a trip to, to, to Whanganui for the, for the grand reopening. Oh, we'll have to. We'll have to. There is a bar there, right? There are, that's, that's, that's a question Absolutely. for dogs, for Maybe dummies, definitely. Yeah, great. Good. 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 <laughs> we actually, um, we actually uh, should get away because we've got uh, uh, Gary Cleave to come. But I do have, quickly, a, uh, another question for you that has come through on the text line, a double eight double three. Hi Ricardo, can you please ask about the cost of owning and training costs and how long the average racing career is? That's from Dave. Uh, he also said, by the way, Riley was an interesting chat on Friday, but his tip is still running. <laughs> well, I'm going to throw that first lot of the question across to, to, to Andy McCook because he's involved on a day-to-day -day basis. And um, since I started commentating, I, I'd sort of determined that I, I wouldn't uh, race greyhounds because I'd be too busy watching my own greyhounds race around instead of calling the other seven. Um, so, and as for Riley, well, he did get about three winners, I think, on Friday, but he may not have tipped out the right one. Oh, yeah, unfortunately, I backed that one too. Ah, okay, <laughs> never mind. Yeah, Don't, Riley will redeem himself. Um, Andy, uh, in terms of the, um, the, the the current costs and trainers and the way things work these days, and I know it's changed a bit over the years because we used to pay sort of a weekly fee and stuff and quite a few dogs now done on a 50-50 basis. So what can you bring us on that? Yeah, so uh, the majority of trainers are 50-50 these days. So uh, an owner buys a greyhound, uh, could buy a, a pup or a race dog. That cost obviously very highly dependent on what the dog's done or how well bred the, the puppy is. So those costs... Uh, just they, they vary very markedly. But in terms of cost, you're looking at sort of 50 to $60 a week to, to get one reared for a, a puppy to be reared. Uh, well, that's, that's what we charge anyway. We might be cheap. I don't know. But it's 50 or $60 a week to get one reared. And then you go up to sort of $100 a week to, to get them broken in until they're qualified. And that's usually around sort of 16, 17 months of age. Once they're qualified, they go onto a 50-50 deal. So there's, there's, no, uh, there's no more charge to the owner. And uh, that's, that seems to be the best way. And it, it gets a lot of people involved and it means there's, there's no weekly or monthly upkeep it's just a, it's just a one-off cost to get them racing and once they're racing it's uh there's there's no more bills I have to say Andy that is definitely what got me hooked on owning greyhound racing owning greyhounds um first dogs that I bought into they were ready to go and I don't think anyone could believe it that there were no training fees involved you're just getting half the prize money so I've been involved in horses as well but greyhounds if you're looking for something a little bit cheaper and fun highly recommend greyhound ownership okay. hey Andy you're not cheap mate you're value 
You're not cheap, you're value. <laughs> just remember that. And um, just in terms okay, of the, the racing... Thank you. That'll help me sleep yeah. tonight. Andy, <laughs> you can correct me if, if, if you like, but, but like um, Greyhounds can race as young as sort of uh, 16 months or so and uh, can race right up until they're over five years old. Uh, obviously, we call them veterans at five, or we certainly used to. I said they're veterans races in Australia for above the fours. Um, but the great thing about it, Ricardo, is that um, greyhounds can downgrade after uh, three consecutive runs without running in the first three. So, you know, your, your dogs might uh, be getting a little older and not able to keep up with the very best dogs, but they get to drop back to a grade where they're competitive. Uh, on Friday, I called home a dog uh, called Big Time Brody. It was his 35th win at his 175th start, I think it was. And that puts him back to class five, the top level. And he's just a tremendous dog, still racing at the top level. Uh, and he's not far off his fifth birthday. Yeah, OK. So we're talking about three and a half years, basically, roughly, a, a sort of a, a racing career there. And, what, and is there a difference between – I heard you talking about the 300s versus the 527s uh, in terms of longevity of careers, depending on the distance. I mean, do sprinters have a shorter career than the stayers? Or I'm going to give that to you, Andy. I mean, I've got, I've got my own answer, but let's, 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 let's check with the best qualified kennel boy in the Best-ing country. Him. Oh, it's not easy. Now I know Rosa's got an answer. It just puts me on the spot, doesn't it? Uh, it? It honestly just comes down to the. It honestly comes down to the dog and and just soundness. I mean, I guess it's the same with human athletes as well. You know, the the sound of the dog or the sound of the athlete. The 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 longer their career goes, but sprinting certainly a whole lot easier on a greyhound than than running seven hundred meters. So sprinters tend to be able to get through a, a longer period of racing, but. Rosso, we all know we prefer 500, 600, 700 metre dogs, so it's not really ideal, but they do tend to last a little bit longer. Yeah, well, that's a fact. And um, obviously the um, you know the key Group 1 races, look, we do have two uh, Group 1 short course sprints over the 300 metres, uh, the Railway and the Galaxy, but the majority of the Group 1 races are races, obviously, we're trying to win, like the Derby over 457 at Cambridge or the Auckland Cup heats next week over the 527 or 520 metres for the New Zealand Cup. And... Ricardo, the dog we're going to talk about very shortly that's on this winning streak is no keeper and um, he's won 10 straight. Nine of them have been beyond 600 metres and I think six of those have been beyond 700. So he is one tough animal, but he's won a group one over 520 as well and he was second in last year's Auckland Cup. So we're going to have a chat with Gary shortly just to see what path he's going to be taking with uh, the star of New Zealand Greyhound Racing at the moment or one of them, him alongside a power superstar. Yeah, good stuff, Rosso. We should uh, take that break uh, so we can get to Gary Cleave. We love our dogs and they love to race. Head to lovegreyhounds.org.nz for everything New Zealand Greyhounds. This is Dog Speed on SENZ. Head to lovegreyhounds.org.nz for everything New Zealand Greyhounds. You're listening to Dog Speed on SENZ. It's 22 away from midday here on SENZ. You are on dog speed, and our next guest is the part owner and trainer of No Keeper, which has won 10 consecutive races. And, Rosso, I have to ask you off the top, in your career, how often have you seen a dog be that successful, that consistent, and win 10 races on the trot? Yeah, look, Ricardo, it's not common. Um, we have had a dog called Swimming Goat, a short-course sprinter with blistering speed around Addington, win 22 straight, and that is phenomenal in any form of greyhound racing. There have been a number of dogs that have got up sort of around the uh, 15. Uh, Elizabeth is reminding me here, Elizabeth Whelan of Bright Star, 
and her winning streak. So, um, look, it's 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 doable. Um, the thing about this dog is that um, he's doing it over uh, distances of, of 600 metres, 700 metres. Now, it means he's racing a smaller pool of dogs because we don't have that many uh, stayers. But nonetheless, uh, he is also a dog that has also proven himself over 520 metres uh, and won at Group 1 level there. And he was second in last year's Auckland Cup, as I mentioned, Ricardo. And we've got the heats coming up next week. So I'm really interested uh, to find out what no keeper's path might be. And I believe we've got Gary on the line. G'day, Gary. How you doing? Good morning, guys. How are you? All well here, Gary. Hey, thanks for joining us. Um, we, we did a show in, in, um, in Melbourne there for six months and we got you on a couple of times to talk about uh, a no keeper. But here he is now having won 10 consecutive races, the most recent of them, the Group 2 Nancy Cobain Memorial over 700 and uh, 20 metres up at the Manawatu Raceway. Pleasure to call the dog. 720 metres is a, uh, a tough distance. It's up there with some of the longest distances we run here in New Zealand. 779 for the Silver Collars, the longest. So, with him running 720 metres back-to-back at Manawatu and then the travel home, how did he pull through that? No, he's come through real good. Uh, real pleased. Um, gave him an, an easy week this week. And uh, normal work will resume. Um with the plans of heading to Auckland for the Auckland Cup. Okay, so look, it must have been decision time for you this week, and you've told us the answer to my next question there, that you are going to have another crack at the Auckland Cup. You ran second last year uh, behind Federal Morgan. But it means, of course, you're dropping back from the 720 metres to 527 metres. And that's going to make it very tough for him to continue his consecutive wins. Does the winning streak mean much to you and to your partner, Gaylene, at all? Um, the past 10 have all been very nice. Uh, to add on another two would be absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, his stay in Korea has sort of been a learning curve, sort of stepping up to the 600s, not really knowing, um, you know, his ability at, at those distances. And then the next step to the 700s, you know, would he handle the um, one-turn tracks like Palmerston North and Southland over the 700s with the long straights? And then sort of back to Addington, um, the 7.32 on the two-turn track. So, um, yeah, a wee bit of a worry that he's perhaps become too dour as a stayer. Um, but the only sort of comparable time we've had with him um, when he raced at Christchurch over the 7.32 was um, he could still put up a sprint time comparable with the sprinters on the night. So... Um, it's not as if he sort of lacks the early foot. He's a, a good type of stayer to have, sort of gets handy on the pace and um, he can sort of roll to the lead early on. It's good. Um, yeah, so a, a wee bit of a concern sort of taking on some of the, the gun C5 dogs that are around at the moment. There's some pretty speedy types sort of uh, capable of running under the 30-second barrier. Um, but sort of going back to his last three starts over the 520 at Cup week at Christchurch, he was the fastest qualifier over the 520 in the heats, an unlucky third in the semi-finals, and then won a consolation race on finals night. So, Gary, look, how challenge. do you go about how, how do you go about dropping him back in distance though? In terms of the way that you you train him, obviously it's vastly different. We're talking about another 200 meters, 720 
uh, back to the 527. So how different does his training regime become to do that? Um, probably in his 700 metre training, he probably gallops every second day. Um, where our 520 dogs sort of might only have one or two gallops sort of midweek, depending on the, um, the, the travel involved with the racing. So, um, yeah, the, the distance that he, that he gallops when he runs basically stays the same. It's just sort of the frequency. Um, he gets a wee bit more um, sort of between races when, um, when he's going over the longer trip. Andy, I better get you in here, Andy McCook, uh, because obviously with the, down there we admire these greyhounds and they light up our sport. And no keepers a shining star at the moment. For you, uh, also helping uh, with a with a kennel, uh, you're running distant seconds behind this dog. So <laughs> how do you view it? Firstly, as a commentator, and then as a rival trainer. Uh, as a commentator, it's uh, it's brilliant to be able to call dogs of keepers' uh, quality as a trainer. I can't wait for Crafty to put him on a flight and get him to Australia. But um, <laughs> Crafty, you're just talking about training him. What what sort of pressures does it does it put on you as a trainer having a dog of his caliber looking for for ten or eleven on the bounce? Does it put any any added pressure on you getting the work done and and, and travelling him? And do you, do you feel any different? Um. Probably the biggest pressure you sort of feel is the um, the tote price. You know, he's sort of been op- opening up fairly short, and his last few races, sort of being the dominant stayer in New Zealand. Um, you know, sort of knowing that the big gamblers sort of throw him in multis and and put you know bigger sums of money on him. Um, yeah, it, it does get to you. You know, his last couple of wins have actually been quite emotional. Um, you know, pulling off a, a a group race like the Nancy Cabane, um, you know, obviously the the good prize money on offers, uh, nice to be banking. Um, yeah, no, there's there's a few nerves between, before every race. Gary, uh, as someone who's who's, who's not uh, completely au fait with dogs and dog racing, I'm, I'm, I'm very much on the learning track. Uh, you know, no keeper's record, 52 starts, 24 wins, 18 places, um, and you've run 10 on the bounce. So was there anything that you did 10 races ago? I mean, you know, did you change up the, uh, I don't know, the Jimbos for, for Butch or, or, or anything? Uh, is there anything that, that, that you think fired him uh, over these last 10 races? He always showed ability right from a break-in. Um, and, you know, sort of early on with what he was doing, I sort of said to my partner, Galen, you know, this dog's got the potential to earn us 100000 which is a real milestone in greyhound racing. And um, turn three, uh, the end of this month, and already sort of amassed 150. So the goalposts have sort of shifted and, you know, all of a sudden you sort of realise um, how good a dog he is um, with the potential he can sort of earn um, in the second half of his career. Good stuff, Gary. Hey, listen, thanks very much for, for coming on and having a chat to us on the very first dog speed. We really appreciate it, and we're going to keep an eye on No Keeper and uh, see if that streak can keep going on. I know Andy McCook will be, uh, be watching him from behind. Um, so <laughs> from what Rotto said, uh, but go well, mate, and enjoy uh, the rest of your Sunday.
No, will do. Thanks for the call. Cheers. Uh, Gary Cleave there with us. This is Dog Speed, the new Greyhound racing show here on SENZ. When we come back, uh, we are going to be talking the Auckland Greyhound Racing Club meet at Manukau Stadium, and hopefully we can uh, get a few uh, winners tipped out for you because Andy McCook is going to be all over this. He's going to be calling it uh, this afternoon. And uh, I know that we've already had a message through, Rosso, saying, this is from Paul, uh, top tip on Friday night's dogs usually wins. I always take it in my multi. Keep up the good work and cheers for that. So, Andy, no pressure, buddy. No pressure. Uh, We love our dogs. They love to race. Head to lovegreyhounds.org.nz for everything New Zealand greyhounds. We'll have those tips for you next. Stadium Auckland Greyhound Racing uh, meet today. 12 races. I know we're going to get some tips from you, uh, but given that we've got the Chief Operating Officer of Greyhound Racing New Zealand in the studio with us, we should probably get a a tip from Elizabeth Whelan as well. Uh, what's What's the race you're most looking forward to on this card today, Elizabeth? Uh, this actually sounds terrible, but I'm looking forward to having a couple of my pups trialling, hope, uh, <laughs> qualifying hopefully before the first race. Um, race 10, I think, is a terrific race, though, particularly building up to those Auckland Cup heats next week. It's uh, for the Open Class Dogs over 527 metres. Um, I'm hoping that Freedom League will go a really good race. Um, went terrifically last week in, uh, in behind Opala Superstar, so that's terrific form going into the race. Um, it's having its first look at the track, so it'll be interesting to see how she goes, and she's got lots five, but hopefully she'll be up on the pace and be a very big chance in race 10. And Andy, uh, obviously you're going to be calling this. You, you, you'll be knee-deep in homework, no doubt. Uh, what are you most looking forward to calling, and who do you think we should be watching uh, if, we've, if we've got our punting pants on? Oh, mate, look, the, the message is coming through about Rosso tipping, and now we've gone to Liz Wheel, and they're just, everybody's putting the heat on me to try and deliver, and it's not, it's not a good way to start the day, Ricardo, to be honest. But uh, race 10, obviously the feature of the day, the open grade is over the, the 520 metres, but uh, race 11, very good as well, where we get to see the, the Class 5 sprinters, and there's a Class 5 sprint earlier on in the card where we see Typhoon Tim go around, who'll be one of the pre-post favourites to take out the railway, that's race number four, race number four on the card. So some decent races to tune in. Best bet for me is race three, Chipper's Choice, going around it at $5. So he's a nice little play, I think. He comes up with box eight. Last couple of starts have been good. Shows early speed. Think he can, uh, well, she can put herself in the race from a very early point. And a couple at each way odds. Race seven, Pina Colada, who's racing really well at the moment. Wide draw, certainly no fear for her. She can lead them all of the way, I think, today. Pina Colada and... At the risk of taking Liz on, uh, value with the local race, 10 Dog 1 Opawa Albert, who, although this is a good field, I'm sure he's going to be happy that he's not going to see Opawa Kirk as kennel maiden against him today, who's flying, and he gets an opportunity, I think, taking on the visitors to potentially get a win and start getting after Opawa Kirk. So, decent little bit of value there uh, with most of those, and Rosso, the, the dog for Chipper's Choice to beat is Allegro Asher, a greyhound you've been able to call a few times, and I'm sure you'll be able to tell me whether I'm barking up the wrong tree whether he can beat whether the chipper can beat Asher or not well Asher's done a really good job so far clearly um, and then stepped from maiden into class one and took that transition in her stride although it wasn't the strongest class one so look Andy I don't mind the value around chipper's choice because I did call the Monaco last two uh, meetings at Monaco actually and that's a greyhound that I sort of noted that was Certainly taking some money, but also improving, I think, for those last couple of starts. So you could be bang on there. I'm going to throw one out, uh, Ricardo. I'm going to lob one at you. Big time grenade. Race six, number four. Really looking to this race, uh, forward to this race because they're class ones and there's some exciting talent like Thrilling Polly and Thrilling Stella. 
Big time grenades look really good down the Manawatu. Hopefully takes to Manukau at $6.50. Now, there you go. Uh, thanks very much, Rosso. Uh, we've got uh, tips for you galore, and uh, we've all learned a lot today, I think, in this very, very first episode of Dog Speed. It will be back next week. And uh, from there on as well, from 11 to 12 here on SENZ, we love our dogs. They love to race. Head to lovegreyhounds.org.nz for everything New Zealand greyhounds. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.